Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This message is intended as a reminder that we are not licensed professionals, not psychiatrists or psychologists. If you have a serious problem, please seek professional help. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. There's some damsels in the DM. Yes, queen. <laughs> Tell us what's the vibe. There's some damsels in the DM. Please tell us what's the vibe. DMs, DMs, yeah, we see them. Yeah, we read them. DMs, DMs, we don't need them. We just leave them. Please. Yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. I'm Alejandro. And I'm Lauren. We are excited to have Amalia Mirarrio here of Amity Detroit Counseling, licensed therapist and counselor. Hello. Thank you so much for being Hi. here. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> we would love to hear how you, you know, came to be a therapist and how you found yourself in that path. Yeah, absolutely. Like many therapists, I think that in my personal life, I was kind of someone that people would go to. And I actually got my start really in sexual health education. Even in high school, I was a peer educator through Planned Parenthood and really young, really liked being that safe person that people could disclose things to, confide in, and like, wait, I could I can do this as a career. Like I can <laughs> I can spend all day like getting to be that that safe person and having those types of intimate moments that was amazing when I figured that out that's awesome and I'm curious how did you two know each other because I know you said you go way back well we actually went to the University of Michigan uh, at the same similar time I was uh, second year I think when you were first year and we came through the ALMA program oh wow which was a really amazing opportunity to help acclimate people who are of the Latinx community uh, to come onto campus and take advantage of resources that were available. Yeah, uh, that's clearly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely. Yeah, that Michigan was, network, great. Yeah, it's a little like stereotypical, but I feel like I've got to know everyone else one way right. or another. Yeah. <laughs> But so today, what caught our attention in particular, you know, was the fact that you are the breakup uh, relationship therapy (laughs) guru. So how did you not, I mean, you already answered or told us about, you know, how you found us, how you found your journey in becoming a therapist, but like specifically with this angle of breakup recuperation, how did that come about? Yeah, thank you. Well, my background when I graduated grad school and I was like working in a nonprofit, I was working with primarily women who had experienced sexual violence. And that on the surface might not seem like it has anything to do with breakups. But when I decided to launch my own practice and kind of go out on my own, I was thinking about some of the clients I had felt like super connected to. And I don't want to say favorite, but like the ones I felt like I was most effective with, right? The people who I was like, we connect, we vibe, I'm actually useful to you. This Mm -hmm. relationship is working. And so many of them, not all, but so many of them, even if what had brought them in the door was an experience of sexual trauma, what we were really working on was their relational patterns and 
their dating life, how they were showing up in intimacy. A lot of people were finding the time after a relationship as um, the time when maybe they were facing their sexual trauma, that it had all come to the surface and felt really activated at that moment. And so I was like, you know, this is a really deep, meaningful experience. I can think back on my own dating history and my own breakups and the, the way that that impacted me and how there was kind of this sort of idea that like it was frivolous or silly and like you shouldn't be that upset because everyone goes through it. But it was touching on much deeper parts of me that I maybe didn't have the language to describe at the time, but it, it just felt like it doesn't get its due respect in our culture. Well, and it's true that with sexual violence that it happens more often than not with people that you know, right? And like in relationships that way. Yeah, absolutely. Or maybe the relationship was a really safe space and thinking about dating again is scary. Or there's like a crossover sometimes of people feeling like if I misjudge someone's character in dating, that reminds me of the way that I felt like it was my fault that I was sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. And so the the like self-blame and the shame around that, like that you're not good at picking the right people or you attract the wrong people. And there's a lot of like self-help stuff out there that really perpetuates this and can leave people feeling even more ashamed. You also have a lot of great content on your Instagram that is really helpful in terms of kind of turning that narrative around and helping a person understand that there are other ways to cope with what may be perceived as something that like is at the forefront of our minds. But it's really great that you provide the context and Mm -hmm. some understanding. 100%, definitely. And also because you said that like you were able to relate to your clients, do you feel like there were specific experiences that molded you into wanting to get into this field? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, you know, I'm I'm fortunate. I've been with my current partner for eight years, so we met pretty young. And I think that that helps keep me grounded. Our, our minds like when things have a beginning, middle, and end. And it helps me stay grounded of like that part of my life has ended. So now I'm not feeling like so personally triggered when I'm sitting with a client. Mm-hmm. But when I think about my own history, absolutely. Like I can think about like, you know, breaking up with my college partner and like I like moved to Costa Rica and it was like you know that was like the eat pray love era right like that was, <laughs> that was cool <laughs> like was totally I just need a fresh start I need to get away and it, it's never really about the breakup it's never really about the other person I think that attachment is real and that relationship is real but it's really about like all the stuff that that experience brings up yeah 100% And what made you want to start sharing your insights with the broader social media community? Maybe a little bit of anger seeing some of these toxic messages out there. And, you know, I love pop culture. I love things that might be seen as more frivolous or superficial, but I think, but I also love like psychological theories and I love like some of the more nerdy stuff too. And so like, is there a way that I can bridge this gap and make some of this information accessible? Of course, it's never a replacement for one-on-one work. It's never a replacement for therapy. And I would never want to like present myself as a guru who can like fix you via Instagram. Like that's a very toxic message. Mm-hmm. But if I can help be a bridge to help someone see them, parts of themselves or their experiences reflected, and maybe it does prompt them to seek more support, that would be just incredible. 
Mm-hmm. I think sure. that's amazing, especially when it comes to like, you know, the past year, a lot of people might not feel as visible as they want. And I feel like part of visibility is like acknowledging that some feelings are okay to feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes like it's unfortunate that messages that we consume either on Instagram or other social media platforms, whatever, might not be as embracive as, you know, another perspective. Thank you. I, re- I really appreciate that. I, you know, I'm just trying to think like, what is it that I see clients come in with and the message that they've picked up that I'm, it's like undoing together of like, wait, let's, let's break this down. Let's think about this. It's not about let me give you now some answer, but let me help you unpack be more in touch with yourself and more in touch with your intuition and and what what like actually feels good yes uh so how you i understand that you're between michigan and pennsylvania is that correct yes kind of <laughs> tell us about that how, how did that happen yeah so i went to school in you know right outside of philadelphia i was living in philadelphia did all of my therapeutic training there um what school in Philadelphia? I went to Widener. Oh, okay, is, cool. I had never heard of. Oh, yeah. I, so I know Widener. Mm-hmm. Okay, I had never heard of Widener in my <laughs> like. It's a smaller school. Um, yeah. But they are like the only school that offers like an accredited um, human sexuality program. That's sort of like their claim to fame. So you can study like the clinical therapy side and human sexuality at the same time. And so that was what drew me in. Awesome. Wow. It's really interesting. I'm curious uh, because you mentioned in the beginning that like you worked with sexual violence predominantly with women. Um, and I'm curious if you've noticed differences in how males versus females process breakups. You know, I don't work with very many men. I don't have a lot of experience working <laughs> with men. And that feels sort of accidental, but also feels, I think the answer can even almost answer your question of like, it's an accident, but it also is that women might be more inclined to seek support and to see that this is an emotional experience. And there might be some like ideas of masculinity that you shouldn't seek support or you shouldn't have feelings about a breakup. I know that that's not true. People of all genders have feelings about breakups, but it might be a little bit more repressed. Mm -hmm. Coming to talk therapy is a little bit of a leap then because where like like where do you start how do you even know what to say or what to talk about if you don't have access to that language and you know the way that women are socialized to to be a little bit um more verbally like verbally oriented to process things I think lends itself to talk therapy yeah for sure I think it's so interesting because even with my boyfriend like he recently started seeing a therapist and for me it was so great like it wasn't really related to our relationship but even just like him talking to somebody I feel like did strengthen our relationship because like it allowed him to gain perspective like from somebody else in his life but even like when he went to tell his dad that he had been seeing a therapist his dad was like call it a life coach because he didn't like the stigma of therapy interesting yeah wow yeah I think it's interesting and then like from his experience he started to tell more of his friends to like go see therapy and get more involved and he's sort of like a fratty you know USC guy so I think that like it's important that those types of guys become more open to therapy and like being emotional and not judging your feelings and talking about your feelings. Yeah, absolutely. For themselves first, but also for the greater good that 
if they're more in touch with their feelings, they won't be acting out in ways that we know that men can be violent or at the worst, right? Like that's, there's a spectrum, but even acting out in terms of like being kind of mean or distant or some of those other ways that it can show up. Definitely. For sure. Even microaggressions at work. I mm-hmm. mean, I feel like that can totally be a consequence of not seeking some <laughs> sort of help. And it's not even help. Yeah. It's just like, an opportunity to like uh, be open and like expressive of what is going on. Yeah, definitely. And how has it been shifting the platform to being over Zoom during the pandemic? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, I can only like laugh because so I moved from Philadelphia to Detroit February of 2020. <laughs> um, just literally weeks before yeah. everything shut down. I had terminated with all of my clients in Philadelphia. I was like, you know, I'm moving to this other state. Like there's no way for us to work together. And some clients had even asked, like, is it, would you be open to some type of like teletherapy? And I was like, no, no. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm only doing it in person. Like I'm going to, you know, get an office in Detroit <laughs> and I can just like, like bless my heart. Like, I don't know. <laughs> because Obviously, that's not the way it went. Um, so I had to pivot and thought about like, do I wait for this to be over? Do I hang out and like not do anything right now, which wasn't necessarily like totally a financial option, but yeah. it's been very humbling to learn to work in a different way and build relationships and rapport and intimacy over screens. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more than anything, like very relieved that it's been much less different than I thought it would have been. Like I had such an attitude about it and mm-hmm. it's, it hasn't been so different. Because there's a thing with like, um, therapists aren't allowed to practice in other States. Right. Cause I know like I've been home in Philadelphia for a lot of the pandemic and, um, my therapist was in LA and I remember her saying that like, she's not sure like after the pandemic, she would be able to keep seeing me if I was still in Philly. Yeah, exactly. So I have maintained my Pennsylvania license. I wasn't planning on it. I was like, what's the point? I'm not there, but with teletherapy, um, I have been still taking clients in Pennsylvania. And so I'm able to see clients in both States because I'm licensed in both States. That's awesome. And do you feel like that there's, I know that each client is different, each situation is different, but like that there's like a big piece of advice that you would give to those who are going through breakups. I think the the long-term goal, if there is one, is that I really want people to be able to get to a space where they see the relationship as out of alignment, that Mm -hmm. that person wasn't, that it was an issue of them not being aligned with whatever they are meant to be or do in this lifetime. I mean, I think it really can be like a holistic spiritual view because so many people feel it's a sign that they weren't good enough Mm. and that the reason it didn't work out is because they weren't good enough. And I think if you can shift to like, it has nothing, it has nothing to do with self-worth at all and more to the place of like compatibility. And it can take a lot of processing to get to that space of of peace. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I feel like breakups are some of the hardest things that we as humans experience, you know, like 
Uh, I hate, you know, when people compare traumas, like, oh, it's not as bad as doing something else, because I think breakups just feel so earth shattering because it is like losing such a good friend. You know, I've talked on the podcast before about how when I was like high school, college, I was a serial dater, like somebody who always needed to have a boyfriend. And I went through a lot of breakups that I was not initiating because like I was just jumping from boyfriend to boyfriend and not looking at why do I need a relationship? Like, why is it so important to me to have this other person? Why can't I be alone? And I don't think until I really did that inner work, like thinking about um, why is it that I have this problem, you know, um, that I was able to get into like a long-term relationship. But now I've been with my boyfriend for five years and it's something that's really sustainable. But one of the things that I think makes at least our relationship work is that it isn't like an all-encompassing relationship. You know what I mean? It's an enhancer to my life. It's not my life. Yeah. And the irony is you probably experienced deeper intimacy mm-hmm. from that place. And so I think that that nuance gets really confusing for people that it's like, there's all these messages of like, be independent and be um, confident, but they really want intimacy. <laughs> and And it's actually like, the more confident you are, the more you'll actually be able to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And intimacy is built from a place of vulnerability, not from a place of like, I need to be hyper independent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, our letter writer today has gone through a bit of a breakup themselves. So um, if you don't mind, then we can get into reading this letter. Yeah. Dear Damsels. I had been living with my partner for three years and we had been planning to move across the country together when I suddenly got the urge to take a break from our relationship. I felt that they were exercising codependent habits and I felt that a break would allow us both to grow. Here's the catch. My partner was so offended at my suggestion of a break that they considered it a breakup. Now they're living their life, moved in with friends and have other romantic possibilities. I can't help but feeling like I made the wrong decision. Is it too late for our relationship? And how do I grapple with feeling like I let someone I loved go? Sincerely, is it too late to apologize? Well. Do you want to know my thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> no, whatever. Yeah. Let me preface this by saying you can take or leave anything I say, right? Like, like yeah. this is, I, I do not want that like burden of <laughs> telling someone what to do. We put um, a little disclaimer at the beginning of our episodes that says, "Like, perfect. we're not licensed. We don't know what we're talking about. This is just what we're talking about." <laughs> perfect perfect you know and like and of course like thank you to this person for writing in and sharing like this vulnerable like yeah I really really appreciate the way they were able to give us a little bit of an idea of what's going on when I hear the the even the language of just like suddenly having an urge for space that reads to me like anxiety that that doesn't really read to me as intuition And it sounds like that's what this person is now circling back to that right as the relationship was going to enter a a more intense level of intimacy of moving together, right then is when some anxiety about the relationship kicked in. I would encourage that person to reflect on what was it symbolizing to them to move across the country? What did they feel like they were giving up? I'm imagining that this person experienced a sense of claustrophobia of now this is this is too much, like we're in this too deep. And to really understand what triggered that, because the question of is it too late to go back, like is it too late to ask for forgiveness? I think it almost doesn't matter if you don't know what you're asking for forgiveness for. Yeah. Right? Like 
like, are you asking for forgiveness for having anxiety? Are you asking for forgiveness for not being all in? Are you asking for forgiveness? You know, like, how do you know this isn't going to happen again? Mm -hmm. I'm putting, you know, thinking about that person that you pushed away that you had kind of made a commitment to. It's okay that you got anxious. It's okay that you got scared. Like, there's, there's no shame in that. I think that's super normal is why we even talk about, we even have like cultural phrases like cold feet before a wedding, right? right? Because it requires like so much surrender to give yourself to another person in that way. Right. And so if, if anxiety comes up in that, that's normal, that's okay. But this will happen again, not only with this person, if you get back together, but in any other relationship. This is data that you've maybe learned something about yourself that there are partic particular triggers for you about intimacy or particular types of intimacy that make you want to shut down and make you want to run away. I think we all have those, like to some degree, you know, I, I don't think that this means like there's something pathologically wrong with you or anything like that. But if you do want to be in a committed partnership, you do have the responsibility of understanding that about yourself and knowing how you're going to cope with that in the future. So if you are going to go back and ask for forgiveness and ask to be back together, you know, going in with, this is what triggered me. This is why I got anxious. This is why I needed space. Here are some ideas that I have of how we can work through that together. What do you think? Mm -hmm. I'm really curious because this person says, when I suddenly got the urge to do this, like with your clients, what do you, like, if somebody has this feeling that they want to break up with their partner, what do you think is like the normal amount of time to like take to make this decision? And what do you think are the things that like you could be asking yourself before you make a decision like this that you don't want to regret, you know? Mm -hmm. I think more than a period of time is the quality of reflection. The I, I love that you are asking, like, what are some of the questions to reflect on? Um, like, what are you afraid of? That's what I really want to know. And there are a lot of different ways of circling around to get to that question. That might be too confrontational in a therapy session. Just be like, what are you afraid of? Yeah. <laughs> That's the core of it. If you know what you're afraid of, then you can kind of evaluate, is this a realistic fear? Is this a risk I'm willing to take? There might always be something realistic about every fear, but is it a risk you're willing to take? Something else about that that question from the, the listener, you know, that they felt like their partner was displaying codependent behaviors. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious about that too. Like, what does codependency mean to that person? What does it bring up if you were feeling like someone was like needing a lot from you or needing you heavily? Like, yeah. like, like, what does that bring up for you? And how are you communicating that? Right. So like, if someone's thinking about breaking up with someone, I want to know, what are they afraid of? How is that showing up? What are their values around some of these words they're using, like codependency? And how have they communicated that to their partner? Because sometimes when we don't feel like we have the words, that we don't know how to say something, that can trigger us to just like want to flee. Mm -hmm. Something that I've noticed like in conversations with friends where it's just like the messages aren't being received in spite of the attempts to communicate exactly what you're suggesting. What kind of advice would you give? They could ask their partner exactly, what are you hearing when I say this? Because I'm feeling like this is not landing the way that I'm wanting it to land, or I feel like I'm not getting the feedback I expected. So can you help me understand where this is landing for you, what it is you're hearing, what it is you're taking from this? 
And the answer to that might surprise them. Mm. Yeah. I find it really interesting that this letter writer talks about the codependent habits that you brought up, then talks about the FOMO that they're having on this person, like moving in on their life. Because if that person like really was exercising codependent habits and, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong, one would think that this would be like, you know, more difficult for them that they wouldn't have been able to like move on and live their life so freely. Also, if you wouldn't mind like touching on codependency a little bit um, and how you see it in your work, I think that would be really great for the listeners. Yeah, sure. No, that's such a good point. I hadn't really thought about that, but that's such a good point. I think because of our cultural context that we in U.S. culture have this, we really praise people for being independent and and individualistic. Like, you know, like pull yourself up by the bootstraps, don't rely on anyone, look out for yourself, like disconnect to capitalism, disconnect to white supremacy. Sorry, like I'm going there, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It, it, go there. Definitely. All- <laughs> we talk about social justice all the time. You knock yourself out. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Great. Because this is all connected, right? Like this is white supremacist culture of like you are out for yourself. And if you feel like you need other people, there's something wrong with you. And there's even, you know, some, there's like some really popular like therapy influencers out there who are using language. Like you need to be able to self heal. You need to be not worrying about how any of your actions ever impact anyone else. So that leaves people left to, kind of interpret if someone is really vulnerable or is needing emotional support um, or is wanting deeper intimacy or more closeness, then they must be codependent Mm -hmm. (laughs) or like some self-shame of like, if I care what people think of me, then I'm, that's codependency. Like I should be able to do whatever I want, (laughs) whenever I want and like not worry about the consequences. And we are wired for human connection. We are not meant to be isolated creatures like that. That does not add up. So I think people are, people are left with this idea of shame of like, there's something wrong with me. They can project this onto others in their life. If they're feeling vulnerable, like they're needing too much. Actual codependency is really specific. It's not like, I care what people think of me. Like we all care what people think of us to some degree. And that's healthy because we need feedback from our peers to know, to to hold us accountable. Like you can't just go around like treating everyone like garbage and being like, well, I'm not codependent, so I don't care. That's just, it just even sounds weird to put it like that. (laughs) My therapist (laughs) that I'm like the opposite of a narcissist. Like I think that everybody's talking about me, but negatively. I always assume that it's like the worst, you know, I never assume that it's positive. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure your therapist has put this into context for you too, that there are advantages to being like that. There are advantages because your mind is looking for a a potential threat. Like that's survival. Mm -hmm. You want to know if there's someone who's talking negatively about you, because how could that, you know, like our, they call it, you know, like our reptile brain is like always wanting safety. So if you are in your like pack of humans and there's people who maybe aren't looking out for you, you need to know that for your own safety. Mm. And and that part of your brain like doesn't know, doesn't care (laughs) that like this culture says you need to be super individualistic, right? Like it's, it it cuts so much deeper than that. Yeah. Mm. 
And I feel like the question that always comes up on breakups that like people want to know is, do you think that when people break up, there's potential for getting back together? And if it is to be done effectively, what are the types of situations that you see work and what don't you see work? I do think it's possible. Absolutely. First and foremost, like safety, like was this a safe relationship? If there was any type of abuse, though, a lot of times those are the hardest relationships to leave, but I would be really, really cautious around like what type of treatment has this person actually received? Promises mean nothing. Like have that, are they actually, what, what, what are the um, outside supports that, that would help like for their accountability? Assuming that this was like a healthy-ish relationship, that there was, you know, somewhat of an equal distribution of power, I would really want both people to, to reflect on, to be both people to be accountable for what happened. If both people are in a place where they're not blaming one another, you know, there's, there's this triangle that we talk about a lot of victim, villain, and rescuer. And you don't want to find yourself anywhere on that triangle. So like, if you're feeling like you were the victim of what they did, or if, if, if you're feeling like they were still the villain, or if you're feeling like they should rescue you from something, or you should rescue them from something, anywhere on that triangle, if you're still in that, um, it might feel really good. It might feel really familiar, but it's going to lead to the same points of conflict that you were in before. Hmm. So for this relationship that we're talking about here to work out, do you have any insights on like uh, what this person could do if that's what they wanted? I think if they were to go to this person, to their I mean, I guess you would, would call them an ex at this point, right? Like if they were to go to their ex and say, this is what triggered me. This is why, how I got, why I got anxious. This is my plan to hold myself accountable. Can we come up with a plan together of communicating if this starts to happen again? Are you open to that? Can we, you know, repair this relationship? I certainly think it's possible. Absolutely. But that's a lot of work. Yeah. That's a lot of work. And then what happens if like, the plan is set in motion and then one of the parties just falls flat in terms of like keeping their end of the bargain. What, what happens then? It could be a time to reevaluate. It could mean if you're both really wanting to be in the relationship, it could mean you just need some outside support. If you both have the clear desire to be together and you're just not, it's just not clicking, you know, there's absolutely no shame in trying some couples therapy. Mm. If, if you need an outside person to help get you back on track. Yeah. yeah. Well, is there that anything sense. else that you wanted to touch on or that you wanted to add, Amalia? I don't think so. I think, yeah, this is super fun to talk about this stuff. I love talking about this stuff. <laughs> Thank you so much. You it's provided been so great. Really amazing points of just being able to not only assess within ourselves, but also share what our plan is for either plan of action, plan of exit, who knows what, but I really appreciated everything that you shared in terms of, you know, holding ourselves accountable and making sure that we're giving our space to feel that level of like self-assuredness. For sure. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. Tell and our listeners how we can find you and your services on the interwebs. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you can follow me on Instagram. It's breakup therapist Detroit and my website is amitydetroitcounseling.com and I'm licensed to work with folks in uh, Pennsylvania or Michigan virtually. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for coming and talking with us today. Yeah, thank you. 
Thank you guys so much for coming to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. Until next time. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. DMs, DMs. We don't need them. We just leave them. Please. Yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.